Welcome to the official It's All Dead podcast. The music is dead. Long live the music. Welcome to the official It's All Dead podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm Kyle Hawk, editor-in-chief at itsalldead.com. And joining me, as always, as almost always, is senior editor Kyle Schultz up in Chicago. Kyle, how are you doing? I'm doing well, sir. Nice. Very nice. Um, We, uh, as you likely already know, write for a website called It's All Dead, and we write about music. We do a podcast about music. Um, You should go to the site and prowl around, um, read some of our nerdy little thoughts. And if you like this podcast, you can also subscribe to it on iTunes. Just search um, It's All Dead on iTunes on your home computer or the podcast app on your smartphone. Hit subscribe to stay up to date on all the shows we put out. And um, this podcast that you're listening to right now is one that we actually meant to do a while back and just kind of kept putting off. Um, but it felt to me like, you know, we really needed to to have this discussion. And what we're talking about is My Chemical Romance's 2006 album, The Black Parade. And if you read the site, you know that we do these sort of reflective features um, that kind of uh, look back on albums that are turning 10 years old and uh, the black parade just turned 10 years old back in October. So we're about a month late. Um, but that's okay. I, I still feel like this conversation's worth having. And we didn't, neither one of us wrote the uh, reflective feature for the black parade. And we just kind of decided it might be better to have a conversation about it. Cause this is in my opinion, one of the more important albums that's come from this scene. And we're going to be talking about why, um, but I don't know. Those are my opening thoughts. Kyle, I'm going to let you jump in here and you can talk about anything you want. You can talk about how you feel about doing this podcast on this album or I, I don't know. What Just just tell me your thoughts, Kyle. Well, um, for me, Black Parade was really an anomaly of everything. It was kind of it was a highlight of most music I'd listened to at that point in my life. And, um, you know, when it came out, uh, much like everyone else, I was all in on My Chemical Romance fever uh, after Three Cheers for Revenge, Sweet Revenge came out. You know, they were really on top of the world, just one of the best single punk albums that had ever come out. And uh, this follow-up came out. I remember listening to it, and my first listen through, I almost didn't know what I was uh, hearing. Like, I really... I'm not going to say I didn't like the album, but I kind of walked away from it just kind of disheveled. Like, what was that? I couldn't really make sense of it. And uh, I remember, you know, there were singles I really, really liked. Uh, I enjoyed it, but it's just like, you have that moment of like, I was not expecting that whatsoever. And then, um, you know, you listen to it again and again and again. And uh, it was just one of those things where it kind of caught me out of nowhere. I'm like, oh, this is my favorite album ever. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I, I've talked before um, on the podcast. I've probably even written about it. Um, when Three Cheers for Sweet Revenge came out, it was it quickly became my, my favorite album. Um, and I, I kind of got in just a little bit before the, the My Chemical Romance storm really took off. And it felt kind of like my band, um, at least for those first few months before, uh, you know, Helena was on MTV and, and the band started taking off. And I, I was so excited for another My Chemical Romance album. Um, 
that I wasn't ready for the Black Parade. I It was my most anticipated. Well, I, I don't want to say that because Under Oath's Define the Great Line came out and I was, that, that may have been my most anticipated of all time. But I was very, very, very excited for the Black Parade. It was coming out around Halloween time. Uh, which was kind of the perfect time of year for me to, you know, when I, to think about a new, my chemical romance album. And it was so far off from what I expected. It was, it was nothing like three cheers for sweet revenge in a lot of ways. Um, but it just turned me off. I immediately was like, well, what's this? They look different. They're wearing different clothes. They're, these songs sound nothing like, you know, what I knew of the band before. I, what is this? And I just kind of, I tuned it out and it was several years before I really went back to it. And I'm not going to, you know, rehash all of that again, but uh, suffice it to say, it's, I, I've definitely come around on the album <laughs> um, and, it, and it's become one of my favorite albums. Yeah. Um, like, like I said, when I first listened to it, I was almost put off by it just cause I wasn't expecting it. And it's not that I didn't like the album. It's just what I had expected from them was so vastly different than what we got. And uh, what we got is quite possibly the best album to come out of uh, uh, the punk scene. In, you know, for the decade. And uh, it was one of those things where I hadn't really delved into it that much because I was still, I I wanted, I don't want to say piecing it together, but just processing it. And, you know, I had my, uh, my favorites on it, like Dead and Welcome to Black Parade and Famous Last Words that, you know, you cherry pick songs a little bit. And uh, I remember I went over to a friend's house and she was just sitting in the living room crying. And I, uh, which is never the greatest thing to see when you walk in a door. And I remember just going, uh, what's wrong? And she was like, have you listened to Cancer? And I was like, uh, yeah, I mean, I've listened to it. She's like, no, have you listened to it? And uh, she played it, and we both just sat there, and she started crying even heavier. And then watching her cry, I started getting angry. I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> that's, a, that's a pretty awesome story. And Good story, Al. <laughs> <laughs> so... I want to circle back on something though, because we're, you know, we're using hyperbole here talking about this as, you know, one of the, the greatest albums to come with the punk scene, this definitive album for this, this scene of music that we follow. Um, and I want to, I want to talk about why, like why we say that, why that is, why this is so highly regarded, because you have this album coming from a band that was already pretty popular uh, at the time they released it. They were, uh, kind of becoming a household name at that point they were they had some mm-hmm. uh radio play mtv play they they'd done some pretty big tours now this album comes out that sounds nothing like what they'd done before uh it's essentially a, a rock opera about a, a dying cancer patient and it goes from being you know sort of a noteworthy band to being one of the biggest rock bands on the planet and an album that we're using this big language to talk about 10 years later like why in the hell was this album such a big deal? Like what was it in your mind that made this on such a grand scale that impacted so many different people? Why, why was that? Well, I think it's because it incorporated, um, in a lot of ways it was a step forward for punk music as a whole, because it incorporated a lot of new sounds, a lot of new, uh, interesting directions to take, uh, you know, that type of music. But it also, it was a massive throwback to, uh, like, scene-stealing bands like Queen. And Queen is, this is essentially, I think, a love letter to Freddie Mercury. The entire album 
like the guitar riffs for Welcome to Black Parade are very reminiscent, at least for me, to some Queen songs. Um, Gerard Way really threw himself out there. Uh, you know, he already had a fairly signature look and then redefined that look into something even more recognizable and became, he was the flashy frontman that rock music as a whole has been lacking for probably close to 20 years. Um, even bigger bands like Green Day and uh, even Guns N' Roses to a certain effect, they, you know, they have their frontmen, they have enigmatic leaders, they have, you know, outfits and stuff. But this was something else entirely different, where the entire band went all in on a direction. So they had the stage presence, their music videos were flashy, they were emo, they were, uh, you know, very connected to the music. And then the music itself was, yeah, it had its emo lyrics and it was a concept rock opera, but even the people who hate emo and rag on it, had a very tough time picking this apart just because the music was so damn good. Yeah. Uh, you know, even if you're not really into uh, punk music, it had the sense and the flair of like classic rock uh, hidden beneath the uh, the surface. And it was just, it was very, very difficult to find something disingenuous and something that you can really go, you know, look, just like, oh, they're just copying. It just sounds the same as everything else because it doesn't. Well, let me ask you this, and those are all really great points because I, I remember the Queen comparisons and the Freddie Mercury conversation being a big part of this when it came out and, and something I was thinking about um, and as somebody whose mom introduced him to Queen early on in his life, um, I, I definitely drew those connections as well. Uh, how old were you when this album came out? Uh... 20. Okay. So you, you shared a lot of like kind of the classic rock influence, which was definitely a part of it. And I think that you, you brought in a, a certain generation who, uh, like myself, whose parents had played them queen and they kind of had an appreciation for that sort of sonic trajectory. Um, but you also had just this massive, massive influx of new younger fans uh, with the release of this album, maybe I mean a lot of kids. I think that didn't listen to Three Cheers for Street Revenge. Wh why was that? Mm. Because I think you can explain you you explain that other side of it. But what was it that made this so cool and made My Chemical Romance kind of that it band for that face of that new emo wave at the time? I mean, what what's your takeaway there? I think it's just it was so much flashier than everything else. It it got to the depths of sadness because, you know, it's a concept album about dying of cancer and, uh, it had the flair the entire band. Every time you saw them for, you know, the next two years, they were dressed in these very dark, um, my cat just threw a peppermint in my face. How did that happen? <laughs> That's uh, they're, they're dressed in these extremely black, uh, marching band outfits. And it's just, they stole the show, uh, visually, they and we've talked about before. My Chemical Romance makes magic in the studio. Yeah. Um, it, the it's just the out the music's better written than a lot of. So, even though you have a bunch of kids who are listening to the same music, it's just these songs are so much denser and so much more well put together than most of everything else that came out at the time, and even your larger bands that were. Uh, I don't want to say competing, but coming out around the same era, 
you know, Fallout Boy and uh, the Academy Is was coming out, and mm-hmm. just everything that was getting ready to uh, really take off, they didn't have the same flair or the audacity that My Chemical Romance had at the time, and also, it, it was also something that Three Cheers was a big album, and even people who didn't listen to it, there was a constant reminder that one of the biggest bands in the world was putting out a follow-up very, very soon. Right. So it's just, they had everything kind of meshing together at the one point, and I think it just kind of exploded in a really good way. Plus, you know, they, they put on a hell of a live show, even if I don't think they sound the best. Well, and the Black Parade tour, uh, that first tour they did, I, I think was one of the, in terms of grand scale, one of the biggest, uh, flashiest tours from a band in this scene. Yeah. Um, I, I think, uh, I don't know. It's one that I wish that I would have attended <laughs> uh, back when it happened. It was one <laughs> of those kind of things that you, I think you had to be there to fully appreciate. But even from afar, it was clearly just uh, you could tell how big of an impact the band was having just from that tour, like on a global scale. Um, well, also, I, um, sorry to interrupt you. There's also, uh, you know, the um, folk legends around it. Like, uh, I think it was a lot of music sites at the time were reporting that, you know, My Chemical Romance was going on stage in, I think, London or something. And uh, they had these black hooded figures just kind of standing next to the crowd outside the venue. And uh, when MCR is getting ready to go on stage, they have an announcer run out and just says, like, sorry, due to a conflict, My Chemical Romance isn't going to be playing tonight. And in an arena, lost their minds in anger. And they're like, instead, we're bringing out their friends, the Black Parade. Yay! And uh, the first time they played these songs, they walked out on stage, and an arena full of people all at once had to kind of realize, like, oh, this is what they're doing now. And it created kind of a legend around uh, the concept of the album as well that I I don't know how true it is. I haven't really seen any video, but it's just it's one of the stories that keeps popping up over and over and over. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this. Coming from – so you're a huge Green Day fan, um, and American Idiot is is one of your favorite albums, and – this is an album that comes, what, two years after American Idiot and is very similar uh, in tone and style, um, although it's not holding the, the political weight that American Idiot did. Do you ever compare those albums in your head? Is there any connection there for you in terms of what each band accomplished with an album like this? Not particularly. Um if anything, they're, for me, they're only comparable in just the fact that they revive their own brand. Mm-hmm. Um, it's different genres of punk. It's different styles of, uh, you know, fighting back against conformity, I guess, or at least the mainstream. Um, Green Day is much simpler, and I think everyone kind of knows that going in. It's a simple album, and um, if anything that I would compare, it's just almost story structure because both albums were concept albums. They're both operas. And it's interesting seeing the way each song builds off itself running forward. But I don't really see it as anything other than that. Um, At least that's for me. Green Day for me is much more of, that was something that 
had been coming their entire career and it finally exploded all at once and essentially revived them uh, for a second time as, you know, one of these legacy bands that are always going to be around now. Right. Uh, you know, once they get through their slump mid-career. I want to talk about some of the songs on the album for a minute and in particular the singles that were chosen uh, to be released. The first of which, Welcome to the Black Parade, um, it was the clear and obvious single from this album. It's the song that's going to play years from now to remind everybody who My Chemical Romance was. It's just, it's going to be their calling card. Um, mm. And so here's the thing for me. This album is one that I, I believe is meant to be heard as a whole, that you need to sit with it front to back. That's, that's the best way to take this album in. Um, if you were going to cherry pick... Obviously, Welcome to the Black Parade is a great song. Made sense as the first single. Famous Last Words, the closing track, um, definitely had some radio appeal. Um, that kind of made sense, I guess, as a single to me. Uh, I Don't Love You is a slower track. Teenagers was released as the last single on this album. And it's it's always bothered me. And I think I've talked about this before, how it's my least favorite song on the album. And it's the only song that I don't feel like belongs on the album for whatever reason. I don't understand its inclusion. I don't know why it's there. Um, I don't know. Was that ever weird to you? Did that, I, I've, I've never had this conversation. I don't think with, with another person, but it's always bothered me in my head. <laughs> not only was teenagers included on this album for reasons that still remain unclear to me, but it was released as one of the singles from the album. That has actually always bothered me as well. It's also my least favorite uh, track on the album and it, it's one of those things that I accept it as a good song it's just it feels very out of step uh, with everything else going on and yeah. it, it's one of those things that I accept it now but for the longest time it it always bothered me and I don't know why because I like it yeah well just in terms of the overall narrative of the album I don't I don't quite know what its purpose is um and it's it almost has a uh i don't know like a smells like teen spirit irony to it and that you've got all these mm -hmm. new teenage fans that are at the show singing along to this song about teenagers scaring the shit out of somebody um <laughs> <laughs> just making vast generalizations about teenagers so it's kind of humorous to me in that regard but it, it was kind of always the the weird one if if so let me ask you this. Those were the f four singles, uh, Welcome to the Black Parade, Famous Last Words, I Don't Love You, and Teenagers. If you were, you know, working for their label and were making an argument to release one of these songs as a single that wasn't, which song would you have selected? Dead, hands down. Why's that? Uh, because it's one of those, I think it's the bridge... Uh, song they needed going from Three Cheers to Black Parade. It's a fast, upbeat punk song, uh, and it's extraordinarily catchy when you really get into it. Yeah. And it's just, it's a party song. It's something that it launches the entire album off, and it also feels out of place just because it is such, it almost feels like a happy song, even though they're welcoming the listener to, like, the land of the dead, pretty much, and uh, you know, it's just, it's extraordinarily, uh, I just lost my entire train of thought. 
Boo. It's a. Uh, it has a great hook on it. It's very. It almost sounds like a positive message, even though it's the complete opposite. And if nothing else, it's the one that probably showcases Gerard Way as the best frontman, where he's, mm. even though the guitars are really heavy, he's completely and utterly commanding the song, uh, even to the point where he does the countdown and the whistle, and just the yep. nah, 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 nah going on. It's just, everything about it is just amazing. And I think it would have uh, kind of been a nice bridge between both albums for people who are just casual listeners. Yeah, it's almost the unsung hero of the album, and I'm I'm so glad you said that because I was that was my song as well that I I would have picked as a single. I and I think here's here's why it is so underrated. It's because it kind of kicks off the album, and so much happens after that. There's so much movement that you know by the time you get to famous last words, you're almost not even thinking about dead anymore. You know what I mean? Not that the song yeah. is less of quality than the ones before it. It's just that so much happens in between that it, <laughs> it's hard to go back to it and immediately think, Oh yeah, dead. Yeah. Well, it's also, you know, it's a, uh, it, it's a happy sounding song sandwiched between two depressing motherfuckers. You know, the end is piano driven. It's kind of the intro into it. It's very short. You have dead. And then this is how I disappear. is just a raging downer that, uh, and it's every song following it, like up until Welcome to the Black Parade is intense. And yeah. there's so much to really take in. They're so dense uh, lyrically and musically. You do almost forget about it by the time you get to track four. Yeah, that's a that's a great point. Um, so I was going to ask, I, I think we've, again, you know, maybe we've talked about this before, but like favorite songs from the album personally I, for me it's changed a lot i think at first the sharpest lives was kind of a a gateway drug for me into this album because it does share some similarities from some of their past work like three cheers of street revenge kind of has that sharp edge to it um and for a while that was definitely my favorite on the album but it's changed a lot I, there's been times where cancer is my favorite there's been times where famous last words or dead uh, but I think at the end of the day, at this point, 10 years later, the the one song that sticks out the most to me, the one that I point to as this is why this album is so incredible is Mama. And, you know, you talk about Queen, you, you talk about the, the rock opera uh, influence on this album. This song definitely encapsulates all that. I, I feel like it's the most unique, uh, most maybe disturbing the most intense song this band has ever done. There's so much going on. And when I listen to it, I picture almost like Tim Burton style movie soundtrack or something. It's just, yes, it's, it's incredible to me. Yeah. Well, I've actually got a weird side story that is completely, uh, not completely, but a little off topic. Um, so when this album came out, I had a friend who was uh, not really into the music, but he loved this album and he was driving his mom somewhere in their in his car, and he was just playing this album kind of in the background. They'd been arguing about something uh, just menial, and Mama comes on, and she's just sitting in the passenger seat listening to this while they're driving. And as the song ends, the way he tells me is she just looks over and says, you did that on purpose, didn't you? And he's like, <laughs> what? 
and uh, she kicked him out of the house because of that song. Oh my god, that's insane! <laughs> wow, the power of my chemical romance, right? Jeez, right? Changing lives, um, <laughs> sometimes not for the better, maybe. Um, so we've talked about the the significance of this album. Uh, you know, it it was kind of a I don't know, a second life uh, for this scene. And when we talk about scene, you know, we're talking about what we view as, I guess, you know, the punk, emo, whatever you want to call it. Hopefully you know what we mean when we we use that word. But uh, when you think about just all these bands um, from the past couple decades, you know, uh, influence from Thursday to... Uh, thrice um that's what we mean by this scene and this is one of the biggest albums to come out of it sold two million records in the u.s which is pretty significant for any band not named blink 182 uh coming from this (laughs) genre um it's up there you know with the best of what fallout boy has done um and what i want to talk about is this 10 years later so the band's been broken up for a while now. Um, and they earlier this year kind of hinted at a, at something was going to happen for the 10th anniversary. It ended up being, they put out a 10th anniversary edition of the album that included some bonus tracks and, and demos and stuff. But there was like a 24 hour period where people lost their fucking minds uh, because there was just this like video of a flag whipping in the wind and the, that piano intro of Welcome to the Black Parade playing. And everybody thought, oh my God, the band's getting back together. They're going to do a 10th anniversary tour. This is like, it, it was crazy. Like it felt like the internet broke that day earlier this year. So much so that the band who hasn't made any announcements since the breakup had to issue an official announcement of like, hey guys, we're so sorry. We're actually not getting back together. Uh, something cool is going to happen and we'll tell you about it later. But this, it's nothing more than that. And to me, that answers the question that I want to ask, which is 10 years later, how much this album still means. Like if My Chemical Romance was still around or if they came back today, how powerful this album would be in terms of of their history. Oh, yeah, it's a My Chemical Romance reunion would probably be the only thing that could possibly dwarf uh blink 182 getting back out on the road yeah it's just it really is monumental how big this album was and i mean they toured on it for what two two years straight almost yeah it's just they they did a world tour they went around the u.s at least once um i know they've been in multiple interviews saying like you know, they just kept playing on this album to the point where it really did almost destroy the band as a whole because they couldn't escape it. Right. Yeah, and that's a whole nother part of, I guess, the the history here is the impact that this album had on the band. And I'm going to hold that thought. Actually, you know what? Let's just go for it right now. Let's talk about that. What impact this had on Chemical Romance because they're not with us anymore. One of the things I want to share as we talk about that that actually helped me get into the Black Parade because I mentioned I kind of bristled at it early on was that I didn't understand 
what Gerard Way was doing. Um, we obviously know now through the interviews that he's done and the stuff that they've shared that he kind of had in his head these stories he wanted to tell. And, you know, I mean, this is a guy who's sitting in his parents' basement drawing comic books and ends up lead singer in this band with his brother. And he had stories in his head. And each of those stories required a different telling in, in terms of the genre of music that needed to be there to convey that story that he had. So that's why the black parade sounds so much different from three cheers street revenge. Cause it wasn't about my chemical romance, the rock band. It was about the stories that Gerard way wanted to tell. So the next album, danger days sounds completely different. It's a neon laser light show pop record. Um, that's the, that's the vehicle that was needed to tell that story. Um, and so let's talk for a little bit about the impact that this, this had on my chemical romance. Cause it took a while for danger days to come out. And even when it did, it didn't feel like the band had the same investment in it necessarily that they had in the black parade, but maybe that's just because of the exhaustion, like mental, physical exhaustion that came from what transpired after the black parade released. Yeah. It's a, well, it's one of those albums that it, curse the band almost because it was it really was so good all the way through that anything they put out afterwards was just going to be torn to pieces by their fan base because nothing can live up to this um it, yeah. it really can't and i i love danger days i'm a big fan of it but it doesn't have the same passion or drive behind it uh, you know, and it tells its own story. It has its own vision and its own unique sound, but it's just, it doesn't feel the same. It doesn't have the same drive behind it. Um, and it's not as relatable. It's a sci-fi fantasy story that incorporates elements of, uh, you know, the emo scene stuff. And this would black parade, something universal where it's a lot of coping with death, coping with, uh, the darker moments, about loneliness, you know, it had all the emo tropes. It just hit it in very well-written uh, prose, and it's extremely relatable. It's very fantastic, and you know, anything they put out after that wasn't going to live up to it. Um, I think it was maybe two thousand eight, two thousand nine. Alternative Press put out an album where they're interviewing the band and. They're saying they're going to try taking a step back from uh, doing that type of thing again. Their new album was going to be a love letter to uh, rock and roll as a whole, and that's when they put out that song for the rock, the Watchmen album that I can't think of at the moment. Oh yeah, I know what you're talking about. I can't remember what that was either. Oh god damn it, that's going to bother me. Yeah, we'll look it uh, up. Keep talking. Yeah. Anyway, so they put that out. Oh, Desolation Row. Yeah. Motherfuck. Uh, they put that out, and that is an amazing rock song. It's fantastic what they did to that song. But, um, and I, for me, I thought that's the direction they're going to go, and I was going to be okay with that. Like, after what the Black Parade did, I was fine with them taking a step back because I recognized that they couldn't follow it up in the same yeah. way. And uh, if I remember correctly, they wrote an album of music like that, which ended up turning into the Conventional Weapons uh, series of EPs yep. they released. But they they wrote these songs, and even they knew it didn't live up to the same thing, and they scrapped all of it, and just, instead of going with just rock music, 
they decide like, okay, let's go for a story again. And it's just, it's the way stories go. It's this way novels go. It's just, um, when you pick something in a different genre, in a different direction, it's going to be different. Yeah. And I, even though Danger Days was a good album, it just wasn't the same. And I think their fan base recognized that as well. So I agree with what you're saying. And I, I think it's clear the, the difficulty the band had following up the Black Parade and the, you know, when anytime you hear that a band just scrapped a whole album, you kind of get a feel like, uh oh, <laughs> something's going on here. <laughs> and, that's, and that's what happened. So let me ask this hypothetical. Let's say that after the Black Parade, they, they do these, you know, two years of nonstop touring, the, the band's exhausted and, and they're struggling with the follow up. And at that point, they decide, you know what, let's step away uh, for a while how would that have changed the band's legacy in your eye? And part B to that question is let's say that they did that. And now in 2016, they come out and they release danger days or a version of danger days. How much differently is that album received now with more Mm. time passing in between? That's a damn good question. (laughs) Um, I think if they would have stepped away back at the time, and then put out Danger Days Now, I think it would have been a little more well-received just for the fact that it has some nostalgia factor. It has the same flair. It's just a different flair. Um, I, especially some of the heavier songs like Na 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 and uh, you know, Party Poison. Uh, I think it would have been more of an in-panel with more of distance from black parade where there's not as big of a judgment factor yeah i i think so too i i think that whatever they followed up with would have been pretty damn big like just judging from the reaction of that 30 second flag whipping video (laughs) that turned out to be nothing you know i feel like anything they did at this point would be would be monumental um and, and especially another another album another story i feel like uh, it was hard for people to appreciate Danger Days in the moment just because of how much the Black Parade accomplished and how much that changed, you know, the lives of the band and the, and the lives of a lot of the fans as well. And that leads me to this. Um, this will be kind of one of the final things I want to investigate here. We've talked about the significance of the album in terms of My Chemical Romance and in terms of of our lives, but let's talk about its impact on the scene as a whole, which we've kind of like hinted around that idea, but haven't really discussed it because one thing that did happen that may not have been, it wasn't, it definitely wasn't the best thing to come out of this is that it took this world and even the term emo and put it on a global stage. Like your mom had an idea of what emo meant after the Black Parade mm-hmm. came out, right? I mean, that's yeah. it, it had yeah. a pretty big impact on culture at large in terms of that. And a lot of it was negative. There was that that backlash against like, oh, well, fuck anything emo. Even though the Black Parade in my mind is an, an emo album, and I, I don't even know how much maybe it encapsulates some of the spirit of emo culture, but, you know, it, it kind of got slapped with that tag, just like Dashboard Confessional did, you know, years before this. Um, talk a little bit about, I, I guess, what you saw as some of the negative response to to that and how My Chemical Romance kind of became the poster boys for the negative 
side of how people outside were perceiving emo music or whatever. Well, I think that's because it had a similar impact, kind of the way that Nirvana brought grunge to the forefront. They, even though there were a lot of bigger bands, uh, you know, Thursday was holding their own for a little bit and just, you know, you had these emo bands that were kind of up and coming. Uh, Black Parade really kind of threw it at the forefront in a way that nothing else ever, ever could have. And you had a lot of people coming out and just dressing up in scene clothing and stuff like that and Mm -hmm. uh, weird haircuts. And it was one of those things where almost, it was so flamboyant and uh, uh, widespread, it almost became a mockery in and of itself of just the people following the band, you know, as fans. And it became something that was so widespread that it was easy to make fun of. And I think that's part of the problem. Um, yeah, I, it was, there was definitely that, (laughs) that sort of groundswell of, of negative response towards the scene at whole by people that didn't even really understand what the scene was or what was happening at the time. Um, well, the other thing that kind of came from it though, is you had a lot of, uh, bands that were like, Oh, well, emo's popular now. And you had a lot, there was a groundswell of just really, really terrible terrible emo music coming out around this time too yeah and uh (laughs) i think that that was kind of the death throes of it because you had this band that got to the height of what uh could be accomplished with that and then you just had a tsunami of terrible music kind of rally around uh their war cry and i was like oh no (laughs) and it it's something that kind of killed itself all at once too yeah so when i talk about you know, the, the black parade breathing new life into the scene. One of the negative drawbacks of that is that now all of a sudden you have a band like blood on the dance floor that looks aesthetically like, you know, you might like him if you like my chemical romance, but the music is just God awful. So there was kind of this whole other side of this thing where you've got a lot of bands coming out of the woodwork trying to emulate this movement that's happening, but just being really, really bad. <laughs> um, I have not thought about blood on the dance floor in like eight years. And you just ruined my evening. <laughs> <laughs> hey, sorry, man. It was going to happen uh, one way or another. Um, sorry. If you listen to this podcast, like blood on the dance floor, it's just the first band that came to my mind as uh, part of, part of this conversation. Um, eh, fuck them. They listen to blood on the dance floor. <laughs> Well, um, I don't know. Are there one any the, other? Oh, go ahead. Oh, sorry. I was going to say one of the good things that really did come from this, and it didn't, I feel it's correlated, and it didn't show itself until several years later. Because, um, you know, like we said, it, it, emo hit a weird period where it was just a lot of bad music was coming out for a long time. And, you know, you had your good one-offs and uh, bands that came up with My Chemical Romance, but you didn't really have anything else that told stories in the same way for a very long time. Hmm. And even today, there's still not. But what I think it did do is it really showed what can be accomplished uh, if you go outside of the norm. And I think that type of storytelling prowess and just getting to the heart of what you want to say led to the rise of the bands we have today, like the Wonder Years and the way they tell stories across albums, the way they just get to the heart of what they want to say they cut out the fat and it's just really good songwriting or you have uh bands like real friends who 
even though they're not storytellers, they're getting to the heart of just what they're trying, the message is in the emo scene. And it's finding its own revival now, starting from the lowest levels and working its way back. Yeah, that's a, that's a really great point to end on. Um, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head there, uh, which is that emo is always in a state of revival. Um, no, um, just kidding. <laughs> no, that was that was great. But I, I'm going to screw up your perfect ending by asking one more question just because I, I have to do it for my own uh, mental sanity, I guess. Okay. Um, <laughs> this isn't that important. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, in your mind, which... Which event was more important for the scene? The release and response to the Black Parade or that initial Fallout Boy surge around 2005 or so with From Under the Cork Tree? Ooh. Um, honestly, I want to say possibly the Fallout Boy one. Uh, just for the fact that it it incorporated the same elements, you know, because Fall Out Boy were emo when they first came out as well, but they really pushed themselves to show what can be accomplished from the pop-punk scene and the ever-expanding genres it can influence. Like, um, the way they've thrown themselves out there, they've influenced rock, pop, R&B, and basically every spectrum of... Uh, music as well as shown that you know you don't have to limit yourself black parade really threw rock music back on the radar for a very long time but that's kind of where it stayed like you're not going to see crossover fandom between uh genres of music looking for it i think fallout boy drew more people into it just because they touch on so much more and if you find someone who's you know, listens strictly to pop, if they get into them, it can draw them into the scene just based off of their songwriting as well. And I think there's a lot more music out there that really draws off Fall Out Boy's influences um, rather than Black Parade, just because the Black Parade is something unique, and it had its... It touched on what it needed to, it touched on what it's supposed to, but you don't have bands that are viewing it as something other than uh, outside the bounds of rock and roll. Yeah, those are good thoughts. Here's my two cents that nobody asked for. It's it's hard to compare. Um, I think if we're talking in terms of what was, you know, what was more important in terms of American pop radio, like Fall Out Boy wins and Landslide. It's no question. I think their longevity, uh, their cultural relevance here in in America. Um, their ability to shape shift and, and stay relevant through the years is kind of unparalleled. And, and what they've done for, for this scene is it's, it's hard to argue against, but if we're talking on a global scale and something that associated itself with a movement, a subculture that crossed national lines, uh, cultural lines, the black parade is, is, is clearly, the most impactful uh, when you think about what this album did just on a worldwide scale of, you know, the people in Brazil and Japan and I mean, everywhere, just the, the crazy crowds they were drawing on that, that world tour um, and how 
the conversation of emo was thought about and talked about just in the in the general zeitgeist i think the black parade is is one of those touchstones that that people look back to and remember so it's it's hard to compare the two but i wanted to bring it up just for anybody that's listening thinking like well you're talking about this being like some sort of revival for the scene but what about you know fallout boy paramore panic of the disco like that sort of uh fueled by ramen crew that was already doing that like a, a year or two before this album came out so i just felt like it was worth at least addressing that and explaining why in in my mind it's worth acknowledging that but also saying that the conversation we're having about the black parade in my mind is just a little bit different so um well fine be that way mr man <laughs> i will <laughs> so <laughs> As usual, we've talked about this way longer than I expected that we would, but that's great. Um, I, I think we covered just about everything. Uh, point is, go listen to the Black Parade today if you haven't listened to it in a while. It's a really good album. And uh, if you like what you heard here, subscribe to the podcast. Uh, we're always put, uh, putting out new episodes. And go visit our website, itsalldead.com, to uh, read articles, um, see photo galleries from shows we cover all that good stuff. And uh, also, we're going to be having our best music of 2016 features coming very, very soon. So be on the lookout for that. Um, Kyle, as always, it was a pleasure. Thank you for joining today. You're awesome. Thank you, sir. Cool. All right. That'll do it for now. Um, I'm Kyle Hawk for It's All Dead, and we'll catch you next time. Toodaloo! Thanks for listening to the official It's All Dead podcast. You can download our podcast at iTunes and find exclusive music news and content at www.itsalldead.com.